0: The reading today is from the Gospel of John, the 11th chapter, beginning at the 17th verse. When Jesus arrived in Bethany, where Mary and Martha lived, he found that Lazarus had already been dead in the tomb four days. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that God will give you whatever you ask of him. Jesus said to her, the Son of God, the one coming into the world. When Mary came where Jesus was and saw him, she knelt at his feet and said to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her also weeping, he was greatly disturbed in spirit and deeply moved. He said, Where have you laid him? So they took away the stone, and Jesus looked upward and said, Father, I thank you for having heard me. I knew that you always hear me. But I have said this for the sake of the crowd standing here, so that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet bound with strips of cloth and his face wrapped in a cloth. Jesus said to them, Unbind him and let him go. The gospel of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
1: Grace to you this morning and peace in the name of Jesus. Like you... I've felt a need to take larger and longer breaks from reality. And so my TV intake has shot up considerably. Ryan and I have been working our way through old seasons of Project Runway, which is a contest where fashion designers compete for the chance to start their own line. Nearly every episode features a scene where someone has a mess of tangled fabric that doesn't fit, and even if it did, it would look comical, and as they start to cry, one of the hosts, Tim Gunn, will approach them and sternly yet lovingly tell them that this is a make-it-work moment where you must take something crappy and under great Pressure and exertion turn it into gold. And you know, most of the times they do make it work. When Lazarus comes out of the tomb, it looks like he is ripe for a make it work moment. Hands and feet bound in cloth, face all wrapped up, his ensemble looks like death. And when Jesus sees Lazarus, it could have been the case that he saw something in these bands of cloth worth salvaging, something that just needed to be improved through a little human effort and exertion. Jesus could have said, make it work, people, and Lazarus and his sisters and the people that followed them would have re-sewn these bands of cloth With flattering hemlines and sturdy stitching, and Lazarus would have been wearing the most stylish shroud. But Jesus takes one look at his outfit, and he knows there's nothing worth keeping. They're grave clothes, and they are for the dead, not the living. So Jesus says, unbind him and let him go. See, Jesus recognizes that you can be raised from the dead and still tangled up in the things of death. I think you know what that feels like. We're not dead, but right now, we're wearing clothes from the tomb. We're living, but making our way through our days wearing the garments and wardrobe of misery. I see you out walking the catwalks of your own lives. You're wearing the fabric of grief and loss and anxiety. You're sporting the always-in-season patterns of busyness and productivity the pandemic draped across your shoulders, and fear like buttons to hold everything in. They handed you colors not of your own choosing, the hues of political tribalism and systemic racism and distrust and disregard, and adorning it all like the worst accessories in the world is the pressure to not be a burden, to carry on, to make yourself be okay. And these outfits, they're wearing us down. They're awkward and hard to move in. But rather than take them off, we keep trying oh so hard to make it work. And why? Haven't we learned that a lot of the time, what we call success is just prettier grave clothes? Sure, we might tuck in the loose ends and tie it all up to make ourselves presentable, but ultimately we are still wrapped in the garments of death, and they're still binding us up. Martin Luther called sin, the condition of being curved in upon yourself. Being curved in on yourself. It's not just about self-centeredness, it's about being detached from the things that will actually bring you life. And either not knowing that you're detached at all, Or knowing vaguely that there's something wrong in your life, but thinking that you are the only resource you have to fix it and trying to fix it in all the wrong places. Being curved in on yourself means thinking you can do anything and should do everything and that everything rests upon you. Like your whole life is one big make it work moment. And if you find yourself tangled in death's garments in any way, if misfortune of any kind binds you up, well, if you are curved in on yourself, you bypass grappling with the idea that you might just be stuck and move straight to trying to make it work, frantically going above and beyond what you're actually called to do, extending yourself and shouldering as much responsibility as it takes, exhausting yourself and likely those around you as you attempt to beautify the grave clothes you're wearing. And you know, as well as I do, that this is not going to bring you life. I see this play out in Scripture. I see someone bound up in a shroud, unable to move it themselves. And it's not Lazarus. It's Martha. Her brother has died. Jesus didn't arrive in time to heal him. And she is filled with rage and grief. She approaches Jesus and wails with honesty, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And then she walks it back. But even now, I believe in God, and I believe in the resurrection of the dead, and I believe in you, Jesus. She buttons up her grief and rage She convinces herself that in this moment of crisis, it's her job to just believe harder and trust more, and anything less would be a failure on her part. She's curved in on herself, trying to make it work in the grave clothes life has thrown at her. And what's interesting is that nothing really happens yeah, she and Jesus exchange some words and they're really good words. But Martha walks away from this encounter unchanged, still thinking that she is the one who needs to solve her own grief. And Lazarus stays dead. Thank God for Mary. She sees Jesus. And just like Martha, she cries with honesty, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And then she stops. She does not try to fix herself, does not try to make it better, does not try to compensate for her anguish by showing her strong faith. She simply lets the truth spill out. And the truth is hard and it's ugly, but she doesn't try to clean it up. And so we can see with clarity the grave clothes of grief that she is tangled up in. And we're not the only ones who see it moved. Jesus sees her pain, and Jesus is deeply moved And rather than exchanging words, he takes action and Lazarus is raised from the dead. If we are curved in on ourselves, what uncurves us? It's less of what we do and more of realizing what we can't do. Mary recognizes that she is stuck Mary sees that she's wearing grave clothes and she does not try to make them prettier. Mary understands that what she faces is too big to handle on her own, that she, by herself, cannot make her own pain go away. And rather than extend herself across the gap between where she thinks she should be and where she is, she simply names the distance. This practice of naming the gap between the life you're living and the life you had hoped for, between the world as it is and the world as it should be, it's called lament. For we who are all trained to always work harder and harder Lament can feel like giving up. Because it means saying that we couldn't do it. It means that we didn't succeed at making it work. That despite our best efforts, sadness or weariness or grief or regret have caught up to us. But do not mistake this for weakness. Lamenting is hard it is easier to outrun your suffering than it is to face it. So, lamenting is an act of strength. And it's an act of faith, too. Because it means that you realize that you are not, in fact, responsible for everything. It means that you know that you cannot do it all on your own. And this creates space for God and neighbor to act, to pull you from being curved in on yourself to facing this world. Space for Jesus to enter with his compassion to call forth life even from the places of death. And space for your neighbor to disentangle you from death's garments. I don't know if you noticed but Jesus is the one to restore Lazarus to life. But it is the community who is in charge of unbinding him. Jesus tasks us with unbinding one another. And the practice of lament brings us more deeply into community. When you stop trying to throw yourself across the gaps in your life and simply name them for what they are, it means your burden can be shared. That others can pull up alongside you and say, wow, you're right, it really shouldn't be this way. And that might not solve anything, but it at least relieves the loneliness of suffering in silence and it just might give permission to someone else to name that gap in their own life too. When people I know from outside Mount Olivet ask me how our church is doing, what they're really asking me for is how much money we're pulling in, how many of you worship here, and if we're growing or shrinking. Sometimes they might be asking if we have a good way of doing ministry with different age groups, or if we're showing up and making a difference in our community. Each of these ways of measuring tells us something important about our church, of course. But what if the metric we used for determining how we're doing is whether or not we can lament together? whether or not we are scared off by the prospect of naming the gaps in our life in front of God and our neighbor, or whether or not we can leave space for God and neighbor to pull us out from being curved in on ourselves. What would church look like if we formed our life together around that? We might do less, We might cry more, we might never have a make it work moment, but we'd have a church full of Marys, naming the hard truths, unbinding each other and this whole world from death's garments, and creating space for God to raise the dead. May it be so. Amen.